chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, as we'll look at verses 17 through 26 this morning. Luke chapter 5, as we look at verses 17 through 26 together this morning. And see, I love Sunday mornings. I love the opportunity to join with the family of God and experience the energy and the excitement. I, I will tell you, there are times, especially when it seems to rain all the time, that I can get a little down and I need a little pick-me-up. And coming together with the family of God, there is something special about it. And to be able to look around and to see the relationships that are here, to see the friendships, to allow God to work in our lives in such a way, I think is such a blessing for us. I want to share with you today kind of how those friendships in particular can impact others and especially impact others for Jesus. Because Luke tells us some about this story. You've heard about it before. These friends who will bring their dear brother to Jesus in order for him to experience healing in his life. Luke tells us the story. I think in a sense Luke plays the role of a friend. I think Luke leans in and he just reminds us. He just kind of looks at us and says, hey, you do know. Just so you know in your life. You, you do know that this is Jesus, you do know that this Jesus is the one that can work and make a difference in who you are. I think it's like he's leaning into us a little bit. You ever had a friend do something like that to you? You know, like, just state the obvious. You knew it in your life, but they just looked at you and said, hey, just so you know, just so you know, just so you remember. And that's what Luke does. Because Luke course in our canon it is the third book the third gospel given to us I believe chronologically it was the third book written as well I believe Mark was probably written first and then Matthew and then Luke so the story's already been out there the story's been told by Mark the story's been told by Matthew if you look in Mark chapter 2 you look Matthew chapter 9 the story's been told for us but Luke leans in once again and says hey I want you to hear this just so you know just so you remember this is who Jesus is, and this is what he can do in your life. So look at verse 17 as Luke writes to us as this friend, and he says, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So here he is in this town, and he's teaching. He's in a home. The other gospels tell us that he's in Capernaum. Some believe it is in the home of Peter and Andrew, and he's teaching. And notice here it says that all of these different folks have joined in to hear what Jesus has to say. In particular, the Pharisees and the scribes. They've come, I believe, as I understand the scripture, they've come as these investigators. Investigators. These people who are coming down to hear what the young rabbi had to say. They wanted to hear the carpenter from Nazareth. They wanted to evaluate his teaching. They wanted to evaluate his ministry. And I believe, eventually, they wanted to push back against Jesus. They were there in order to gather information. But it says, even in the midst of all that, verse 17, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. That's pretty cool. Especially when you remember Luke is the one who is writing this. What was Luke's profession? Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. And here Luke has already told us some of the ways God could work. He told us in the passage we studied last week how God could, through Jesus, could obviously heal the leper. And Luke 
emphasizes this. And here Luke is, the great physician, or I should say he is a beloved physician, talking about the great physician. And he says, the power of God was there to heal. It was an incredible sight. Oh, let me just point this out. The power of God is still available to us to heal. Just as I talked about last week, and I talked about some of the folks. I came in today, and uh, I saw uh, Francis up here who had surgery this week. I got a text uh, from uh, Kelly that, that they were here today, Will, after his procedure. Hey, our God still heals. My dad had surgery Friday morning. I'm proud that when I prayed to God, I knew that God could work in his life, that he had the power to do that. Uh, the doctor came in. I'm not sure the doctor really believed he had such power to do these things. And, uh, but when he came back out after the surgery and they were able to do what they needed to do laparoscopically, it was kind of like the doctor agreed that God knew what he was doing and God had the power to do it. It's awesome. And here's Luke. Luke says the power of God was there in that place as Jesus was teaching. And it was the power of healing. Look in verse 18. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed. Again, Luke the physician, he gives us the technical term here. Matthew and Mark had told us is just a paralytic. Actually, Luke uses the term that speaks of the medical condition of palsy that he had. So he could not walk. He was paralyzed. And these men, they brought their friend whom they, to Jesus, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. That is to lay before Jesus. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. I'm always just, I'm always just in awe of this, of this scene. All these people were there to hear Jesus. And it might have been a tight little house, but people were gathered in. They were gathered out. You can imagine, you can't get through. You ever had a crowd like that where you just couldn't kind of move? Been to Disney World? You couldn't get by? You couldn't even... I mean, people wouldn't even give you a moment to let you get in front of them because they're afraid that you're going to get in the parade. You're going to get right there in their spot that they had staked out for the parade. You couldn't get by them. And here's this great crowd around the house. It's, it's where they can't get in. So what do they do? They said, well, let's get to Jesus any way we can. And let's, let, let's just take another route. Let's just take an alternate path. So what they do is they go up to the roof. And you think to yourself, how do you just get up to the roof? Well, in the New Testament day, there would have been like steps or stairs outside of the building. And they could have walked up. And they could have gotten there on the roof, which would have been pretty flat. And there would have been tiles. There could have been some thatching that was around there as well. But tiles, and basically all you had to do is just remove the tiles back. Now, I can't imagine sitting in the living room and all of a sudden a hole beginning to appear in my roof, huh? I mean, here are the people. They're listening to Jesus. And you want to talk about distraction? I mean, sometimes you get distracted. I know, with your phones and all and different things and the roast that you have, you're thinking about after. But can you imagine the distraction that occurred there in that room? Jesus is teaching all of a sudden, the tile starts being removed and I'm sure things start falling just a little bit and, and, and this commotion occurs. 
And these four friends, Mark tells us, the four friends lower this man who has suffered the palsy. They lower him down before Jesus. You can see them almost on each one on his side of the pallet, lowering their dear friend down before Jesus. And then look at the response. In verse 20, it says, When he saw their faith, that's Jesus, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately. See that word again? Immediately. He rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God, or filled with fear, saying, We have seen such strange things today. So they bring their friend to Jesus. They place him there. Jesus says, Man, your sins, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins have been forgiven. Now, again, for a moment, I want you to look at the response of the Pharisees and the scribes. They hear Jesus say this. They hear Jesus say that he could forgive sins. I mean, he didn't really say God has forgiven your sins. He says your sins are forgiven. It's almost like he's saying, I am the one who is forgiving sins. And that's the way they take it. They understand that Jesus is claiming authority for forgiveness. And later on, Jesus, as he will look, he will speak in his authority to bring healing to this man. But the Pharisees and the, and the scribes, they're there. They're thinking, Jesus just said he could, sin, he could forgive sins. Nobody can forgive sins except for God. Only God can forgive sins. Now, let me ask you. Would you agree with that theology or not? Now, some of you look at me and say, oh, it's a trick question. I hate trick questions. I do too. I don't, I don't like to be tricked into different answers and what they're looking for. Let me just say this. I think their theology is actually right. God is the only one that can truly forgive sins. God is the only one that can remove guilt from a person's life. God is the only one that can, that even has, let me say this. God is the only one that has the prerogative and the right to bring forgiveness into our lives. Because he was the only perfect one, right? He, he is the only one that can forgive us. So their theology is right. The Pharisees and the scribes didn't always get things wrong. They had a few things that were right. They, they had their theology right. But oh, how their discernment was faulty. How they missed the point of this. See, this is what Luke leans in as a friend and says to us. He says, hey, just so you know, just so you know. Just so you who are reading will remember, he is God. Jesus is God. Just so you know, just so you remember, don't forget this. Jesus is 
God. See, the problem with the Pharisees, not their theology, it's their discernment of who Jesus is. They actually nailed it. Only God can forgive. So if this person has the authority to forgive, it means he must be God. Now, I do find this rather humorous. They're sitting around and they're thinking this. They're reasoning to themselves. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. And he looks at them like as they're arguing in their minds about this. Jesus looks at them and says, hey, uh, I know what you're thinking. Yeah. I know, I know you're thinking I don't have the authority to do it. And which is easier? Do you, do you think I should have just said you're healed and you think that's easier than forgiving somebody? I mean, what do, what, do you th- what do you think it's easier to forgive somebody than to heal somebody? He said, I know what you're thinking. Now, see, this is one of those things that one of these days uh, I'm grateful to God that we'll be like him. And we will be. You do know that, right? One of these days when we stand before him, we will be just like Jesus. He's going to conform us into his image. That's what he's working on now. But I'm kind of proud. I don't know what you're thinking. I'm proud I don't know what you're thinking this morning. Proud I don't know what you're thinking later on this afternoon. I'm proud I don't know what you're thinking tomorrow. There are times I'm just like, ignorance is bliss, God. I don't need to know what these folks are thinking. You know? But he knew what they were thinking. A sign of his divine characteristics. But he said he claims the privilege and the prerogative of being able to forgive. I've heard people say before, well, Jesus never said that he was God. You cannot miss, or I guess you, unfortunately you can, but I hope you wouldn't. That when you go to the Gospels and to the Scripture, there is a clear indication that those early disciples, those who were raised in a monotheistic faith and religion, who believed in one God, they believed, they trusted, and they proclaimed that Jesus was that one God. That Jesus was God. That he was divine. He is God. Don't forget that. We believe, we believe in what is called the Trinity. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe one God, but we believe that there are three distinct persons. Does it blow your mind to think about that? I hope so. Would you want to serve a God that you could figure out? I, it blows my mind, but I know what the teaching of the Scripture is. God didn't just appear as the Father. He didn't just appear as the Son. He didn't just appear as the Holy Spirit, as some individuals teach. Three distinct persons that have existed for all of eternity and for all of eternity to come. And Jesus being the Son was God. He was. So listen. Just so you know, He is God. And that's That's really the miracle that you see here. He looks at the Pharisees, and it's kind of like, just so you know that I do have the prerogative and the right and the authority to forgive. And then he looks at this man, and he brings healing to his life. It's like he says, I'm going to bring physical healing so you'll know who I am. Just remember, I'm God. Just so you know, he is God. But just so you know, that the clear implications of this 
is that he forgives. He is God, and he forgives. Now, does anyone find this strange that the friends bring this individual, this man, before Jesus, and of course he has um, palsy, and he has a serious issue of physical affliction that he's facing, but what does Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven. Or man, your sins are forgiven. Why did you come to Jesus? You came to Jesus for physical healing. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Does anything seem out of place? I'm going to tell you that some of us would have been very disappointed. If we'd just be honest, we came to Jesus and we said, Jesus, we need physical healing. We need you to work physically in our lives. And then Jesus says something like, well, I'm going to work spiritually. I'm going to do something else. It would probably disappoint us. And it would probably surprise us. But why does Jesus talk about healing? Why does Jesus talk about the sin issue? Why does Jesus talk about forgiveness instead of just seeing this man come to his feet to once again walk? Why is this? I'm convinced because what Luke and Jesus are trying to communicate to us is this. We have a greater need than our physical need. We have a greater need than our physical need. We have a spiritual need, and it, the spiritual need is for forgiveness. Now, let that just settle in on you a moment. Think of the gravity of that statement. The gravity of the statement that there is something greater than your physical need, especially when you're going through difficulty. I shared again last week a little bit about healing, physical healing, and the emotional healing, all those kinds of things that we face. But look, when we look around us, we see people who are physically broken. Do we not? M maybe, maybe some of you, uh, maybe some of you could take off a little bit this week or whatever else, and we could go and we could travel some of the hospital rooms together. And you know what? You'd find people that are physically broken. They're sick. It's amazing to me. Maybe we could go visit a few in their house, in their homes, in their houses, and you could see people who are physically. Do, do you realize how overwhelming it is to see the sickness? And the, now, I see a few folks from Zachary. I love these folks from Zachary. I've always told them that the Rustin people are healthier than those people in Zachary were. I don't know what it was, but we, we still have a lot here, but it seemed like years, I mean, when I left, the, the staff said, they said, I think you're the one communicating sickness to everybody because everybody seems to be better since you left. <laughs> Should have fired those people when I had a chance down there. Just kidding, just kidding. I mean, there's sickness all around us, brokenness. Everywhere around us. Listen, it doesn't get worse. It doesn't get much worse. When you find out that cancer has affected your family. It doesn't get much worse 
when disease seems to have rattled your life and also your family's life. It doesn't get much worse than to face death itself and to face it with family members and friends. And now never underestimate the pain and the hurt. But you know what Jesus has taught us? Is that we have a greater need than our physical needs. There's a greater disease that is afflicting people. There is a greater sickness that people are dealing with. We can see all the physical. We can see all the other things that are going on. But friends, it's just a shadow of what's going on in the spiritual realm. Every individual that has lived on this earth has suffered from a disease called sin. The Bible says all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Everybody. All of us. And while, yes, we want our physical needs met, we need to understand there is something so much greater, and Jesus understands that, and it is our spiritual needs in our lives. We may be physically sick. We may be emotionally sick. There are relationships that are sick. But our spiritual need is still greater. But listen to what Jesus said to this man. He said, man, I know the things that you're going through, the difficulty. I know the physical, but he looks at him and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I don't know about you, but those are some of the greatest words ever recorded. Not only in Scripture, but recorded in our lives. <laughs> Your sins are forgiven. I was doing a little study this week of that word forgiven. And I found something. It's one of um, the Greek texts that I use uh, by Lou and Ida. And I always have appreciated their, I mean, they are such scholars. And this is what they said about that word forgiveness. I want to give it to you this morning. I want to read it to you because this is what they say. They say, it is extremely important to note that the focus in the meanings of this Greek word is upon the guilt of the wrongdoer and not upon the wrongdoing itself. The event of wrongdoing is not undone. But the guilt resulting from such an event is pardoned. To forgive, therefore, means essentially to remove the guilt resulting from the wrongdoing. Some languages make a clear distinction between guilt and sin, and terms for forgiveness are therefore related to guilt and not to the wrongdoing. Therefore, to forgive sins is literally to forgive guilt. Though terms for forgiveness are often literally to wipe out, to blot out, to do away with, it is obviously not possible to blot out or to wipe out an event, but it is possible to remove, or I love this word, to obliterate the guilt. To know that when God speaks into our lives and when Jesus gives us forgiveness, he obliterates our guilt. Isn't that awesome? I'm going to be honest. The guilt can be overwhelming. And you know what Satan tries to do? Even after you receive forgiveness for it, what he tries to do is he comes back to your mind and he tries to replay these things over and over and over. And he says, oh, you remember what you did five years ago. 
You remember what you did five days ago. You remember what you did a few moments ago. There was an old bumper sticker that I saw years ago. The bumper sticker said something like this. It said, when Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Because I'm going to tell you, Satan will come and he will try to mount the guilt upon you. Even when you've been forgiven, he tries to come. And you know what you have to do is you have to stand in the blood and the work of the Lord Jesus. And you have to say, I understand because of what my God has done. My God, who is God, who has the power to forgive sins, he has obliterated that guilt from my life. And I don't have to live with it each and every day. I have been forgiven. The tense of that verb. In, in our translation, it looks like it's in present tense. It's actually in perfect tense. What does that mean? It means that it has been done, it has been completed, and it has continuing consequences in my life. That's what that tense means. It means you've been forgiven. If God has, convinced, has confessed that over you, that you've been forgiven, then that means it has happened, it has occurred, and it still has abiding consequences for your life. He says... Man, your sins have been forgiven. And again, looks at the, looks at the Pharisees and the scribes and says, just so you know, just, just so you know that what I just said over him is true. He says to the man who was paralyzed, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And what happens? Immediately. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. He says, I'm healing him physically so that you know that I have healed him spiritually. Because he has the power. So what do we do? What do we do? What would I say is our response as we look at this scripture? One, have faith. Trust him. The faith of the friends were demonstrating that they got to Jesus. And here, this individual that was healed, oh, the faith that he took with him out of that house. I say to you, trust him. Trust him. Friends, there are going to be a lot of people that let you down. There are going to be a lot of people. We probably could get some testimonies of those people today. There going to be a lot of folks. There are going to be people that are your friends. There are going to be people that are in your family. There are going to be people in the church life. You know what? The pastor is going to let you down from time to time. We all let each other down from time to time. But you know who you need to trust in always? God himself. Trust in Jesus. Because he'll always work in the right time, in the right way. He'll always be there for you. And listen, if he tells you that he will save you, you trust him to save you. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you give your life to him, you're saved. Well, I don't feel like it. I don't care what you feel like. 
If you've done what God has called you to do, you trust in him and you say, God, I know you saved me and you forgave me. Because it's not based on your feeling. It's based on the blood of Jesus, which covers you. You trust him. When he cares for you and he says, your sins are forgiven, and Satan does come to remind you, you, you again just say, hey, no, no, no. I don't trust you, Satan. I trust, I trust Jesus. Because this is what Jesus said. He's obliterated this guilt. So trust him. Number two, what do I do? Well, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my friends to Jesus. Because if I'm forgiven, I want them to know forgiveness. If I know freedom in him because the guilt has been removed, I want, I want my friends. I want my family members. Do whatever it takes. Man, these friends, they wouldn't stop at anything. The crowd wouldn't stop them. The obstacles wouldn't stop them. They got this man to Jesus. Why? Because they believed Jesus was the only one that could do anything about his life. See, that's where we need to understand. If Jesus is the only way of salvation, and we truly believe that, if Jesus is the only answer to people's lives, then we'll do whatever it takes to get our friends to Jesus. We'll have a conversation that may be uncomfortable or may be awkward. Whether we picked up a green ball, as I've talked about in the last few weeks, to have a gospel conversation, or whether we haven't picked up a green ball, all we want to know is that our friends will know Jesus as Savior. Oh, by the way, how many of you came to Christ because of a friend? Any of you? The friend might have been older, might have been younger, a few of you. Somebody talked to you about Jesus. What if you're that friend now? To bring somebody to Jesus. We can all, W. Ross says, we can all think, or we can all think of friends who have helped us see our sinful patterns, who kept inviting us to church during a season of absence, or who consistently helped us process things we were too scared to by ourselves. The best times of spiritual growth in our lives often happen thanks to stubborn friends. That's why we have the local church, which is full of brothers and sisters who are born for adversity. Jesus has given us to one another to share our burdens, even when we'd rather ignore or gripe about them. Sometimes we are the burden that our friends are carrying, and they're taking us to Jesus. Friends, we need to start grabbing our corner of the mat and taking our friend to Jesus. Grab the corner of the pallet. You don't have to do it alone. It can be other friends who would engage in these conversations as well. But get them to Jesus. And lastly, our third is to just glorify him. Now, the old statesman, Baptist statesman, a guy named Herschel Hobbes, pointed out in verse 26, he said, And they were all amazed, and they glorified God. The first part of that, all, amazed, may go just with that verb. Hobbes would argue that it's just they were all amazed. All doesn't necessarily go with the second verb of glorifying. So this is what it, he says. All of them were amazed by what took place. 
But not all of them necessarily glorified Jesus as the Son of God. Not all of them. I would doubt the Pharisees and the scribes very much celebrated his identity. So see, we can come to church, or we can see it in our lives. A lot of times, we can get amazed. Man, that's, that's awesome. I can't believe Did you see what Jesus did? But it's another thing to say, Jesus, we praise you. We know what you did, and we glorify you alone. Because you alone deserve our worship. So, again, what do we do? Trust him. What do we do? Do whatever it takes to get our friends to Jesus. What do we do? We glorify and we praise him as the only one that can truly make a difference in our lives. My friends, let me give this to you before we leave. There are some of you who are here today that have never accepted Jesus as your Savior. I'm not talking about just walking an aisle. I encourage you to make a profession if you haven't, but it's not about walking the aisle. It's about admitting that you have sinned in your life. You say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've messed up. I've sinned. I believe in you. I trust in you. I confess you as Lord. Forgiveness. Obliteration of guilt. I say to you this morning that if you've never accepted Jesus, you meet me here at front. Let's talk about it. I'm not going to embarrass you in front of this congregation. We'll talk about it. If we need to talk more, we'll keep talking. You come. Those of you who are saved and you're carrying some guilt with you right now, that's not what God intended for your life. You still got all, no, 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 no. Would you come and would you experience once again the peace that God can give you and a reminder in your life that you can walk in freedom in Jesus Christ? And when we leave here, may we all just glorify and praise him for who he is. Because my brothers and sisters, there's not another like him. There's not another who is as great, who is as good, and who could do for us what we can never do for ourselves. There is no other. Just so you know, just so you know, there is no other. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us even in this moment of commitment. There are some in the sanctuary, there are some there in the gathering who need to confess you for the first time in their lives. They need to give over to you and surrender to you and experience forgiveness. God, give them courage to express that need this morning and to follow you fully. There's some of us in this place that need that guilt Lord, we just need to understand that it's been obliterated. God, we can't serve effectively because we have so much guilt coming down upon us. 
Lord, help us. And God, there's some of us in here, again, that we, we just need to be friends. We need to do whatever it takes. God, I pray you challenge us. And we pray it all. In the name of the one who has the power to forgive and to heal, we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?